the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Luke. Praise to the God who reigns above. The book of Luke is written so that we might know we have a reliable faith. God sent Jesus, the Messiah of the world, down to save us. Jesus called out many of the religious leaders, the scribes and Pharisees, telling the people not to follow their hypocrisy. He taught the people many things through parables and teachings. He began to teach the disciples how to pray. We saw that they were to start with acknowledging who God is and worshiping Him. Then from that spot, they make their petitions. We join Pastor Will in Luke chapter 11, verse 3. Why is submission so important before we bring our requests to God? Why is that general format of starting with worship, then moving to submission, and then moving to our requests? Why is it so important? Well, James chapter 4, verse 3 explains to us. He tells us one of the reasons we don't see answered prayer is he says, you ask and receive not, James 4, 3, because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lusts. So it's important for us to come with submission first to say, Lord, I submit my will to you. I want what you want. I want your will to be done in my life, not my will. Well, then that kind of starts getting all the selfish requests out of the way, doesn't it? It gets my will out of the way so that I don't do what James says here, where I ask amiss to consume it upon my own lusts. See, once I've submitted myself to God's rule, you know, it it changes, you know, how I think. It changes the way I look at my needs and my wants. Well, we submit to God simply because he deserves it as our creator and savior. Again, that also has a side effect. It has the side effect of success in prayer. In John chapter 15, verse 7, Jesus gave a promise. He said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. We like the part where it says you can ask whatever you want and it shall be done for you. We have whole churches that base their theology upon that part of that verse. And they say, you can can just demand God do whatever you want. Ask and he has to do it. But we forget the first part. We have to abide in him. Our words, his words have to abide in us. So that idea of submission has the blessing that comes that he'll, we'll be successful in our prayer life. In 1 John chapter 5, he says something very similar. He says, and this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, which we do, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have desired of him. So when we get our will in line with his will, when we get his word into our hearts, we're praying scripturally, we can know God's going to answer those prayers. That general format, having worshiped and now submitted ourselves, we move to the final part, our requests. Now this is the largest section and this is usually probably where we spend the most time in prayer. He says here, beginning in verse three, the first petition or request is for our physical needs. He says, give us day by day our daily bread. 
real quick, we need to look at something here because all of these prayers kind of take something, these requests take something into account. It's, and it takes into account the idea that we are trusting God for these things, right? That we are believing him, we're trusting him. And faith is another aspect of successful prayers. Hebrews eleven six says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to him must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Again, the beautiful part about starting with worship and then moving to surrender is that worshiping God reminds us how powerful, how loving, and how good God is. And that has the side effect of increasing our faith. So we can make bold requests like Jesus tells us to here, to say, give us day by day our daily bread. These requests, like I said, they, can, they start with physical needs here. There's four specific needs that Jesus addresses here. We have our physical needs, then our spiritual needs, then we, our intercession for others, and then protection from the evil one. We start here with physical needs, and he says, give us day by day our daily bread, or the food needed for this coming day. Here we recognize that the Lord is our source of physical sustenance. Now, listen, I don't know your financial status, whether you live day to day or or paycheck to paycheck or you have a huge savings. All of us must ask God to provide for our daily physical needs, all of us. Because if you and I ignore such prayers, we become confident in our current financial status or our current health status instead of the Lord. And when we come into a trial then, we panic at the change in the status quo instead of looking to our Father as our source. So we need to do that whatever your situation is. If things are going great, you need to ask God to take care of you day to day. If things aren't going great, you need to ask God to take care of you day to day. It's funny how we get sometimes when things are better. We stop trusting God for our finances day to day. We start trusting, you know, what the app tells us, how much money's in the account. We start trusting the fact that we've got that regular income. And then all of a sudden, the Lord allows a curveball into our life and we panic instead of just going back to the foot of the cross and saying, Lord, I seek you for my needs every day. Now there's a greater need. And so I'm asking that you provide for it just like you provided for it every single day. Doesn't that sound better than hitting panic mode every time something weird comes around? Give us this day or day to day our daily bread. Mark chapter four, verses 18 and 19, Jesus, he said, And these are they which were sown among thorns, such as hear the word, but the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. Riches only tells you one truth. It only says one thing that's true. Goodbye. That's the only true thing it says. That's the only thing. You may say money talks. It does. It says goodbye. And it's the only true thing it says. Everything else is deceptive. Because our bank account might say, I mean, how many of you ever had a situation where you, you thought everything was fine and then you, you ran into a crisis that you didn't, have, you didn't have the savings for it? I think we've all got situations like that where something came down the pike that was unexpected and what we had wasn't going to cover it. Riches are deceitful. And it says that through that, it chokes the word and it becomes unfruitful in our lives. I don't want that to happen to me. In 1 Timothy six seventeen, Paul told Timothy, young pastor, he said, charge those that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches, but trust in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. It's not that we can't be rich or it's not that we can't enjoy the things God gives to us. We just need to remember that they're uncertain. We can't trust in those things. 
We need to trust in the living God who is our source at all times. So we need to lift up our physical needs to the Lord, whether they're financial, whether they're health-wise. We need to always ask him day to day to take care of our physical needs. Next, we need to pray for our spiritual needs. He says, and forgive us our sins, verse 4 of Luke 11. Forgive us our sins, for we forgive also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. There is a very popular teaching today that we don't need to ask God to forgive our sins. For example, if you drive down the I-4, you'll see a big sign by Longwood that says, God is not angry. That comes from a, a church that teaches that doctrine, that we don't need to pray. In fact, it's sin to pray and ask God to forgive you your sins because all your sins, they're already forgiven when you come to Jesus. I would like to say to those individuals, someone should have told Jesus that because he taught us to pray this way. It's not like the Lord's like, yeah, I know I taught you how to pray this way, but actually you don't need to do that now because that old cross thing, you know, didn't understand how it all works, so I was a little mistaken here. No, the Lord understands how prayer works. He understands how he was going to the cross. God, the Bible says, is angry every day at sin. He's angry every day. He hates it. That's a false doctrine. So don't listen to anybody that says, well, you don't need to pray and ask God to forgive your sins. That's so condemning. That's so wrong. It's not even biblical because you're already justified. I want to read to you from what J.C. Ryle said. He said this. He said, the justification of every believer, no doubt, is a finished and perfect work. The moment a man believes in Christ, he cannot be more justified if he were to live to the age of Methuselah. But all of this is no reason why he should not daily confess his sins and daily seek fresh application of Christ's blood to his conscience. The words of our Lord in another place teach us much on this. For John 13 says, he that is washed needs not save to wash but his feet. Remember when Jesus came to Peter and he was going to wash his feet and he said, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. And the Lord said, listen, Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you can have no part in me. And Peter said, oh, well, then, Lord, give me a whole bath, you know? You know, yeah, I love Peter. He's one extreme or the other, right? And the Lord explained to me, he goes, they that have already had a bath don't need another one, just need their feet washed. Listen, if you're in Christ, you've had the bath, you've been justified, and you'll never be more justified by anything you can do. But our feet get dirty. We go throughout this world, we pick up dirt and grime. We don't repent and confess our sins to God to stay saved or to make us more right with God. We do so because any meaningful relationship requires such behavior. If I hurt my wife or I hurt my kids and, and I saw them crying, and I said, you know, I really don't know what your problem is. I mean, when, when I said I do, I told you I'd be here and love you forever. That, isn't that enough for you? God made us one flesh at that moment. You need to, you know, suck it up, buttercup. Or I came to my kids and, you know, I know daddy lost his temper, but I told you I loved you a couple times. You know, shouldn't that be enough for you right now? No relationship works like that. I, I can't just go and pray to the father and, and, and be like, well, Lord, you know, I was watching some porn today and yelled at my wife and I was, you know, unfaithful at my job. But, you know, Lord, I'm, you're just a good God. I'm so excited. I'm justified. So, Lord, I've got all these needs I want to lay out before you right now. How is that relationship? That's not relationship. Relationship would say, God, I'm sorry. You, you died for me. You've justified me. You've washed me. You've cleansed me. And that's how I acted today. Lord, I want to make things right with you right now. I was wrong to do those things. And I don't want to do those things anymore. So I repent. And I confess those things as wrong and vile and wicked. And I want to please you with my life. Will you wash me anew? Will you clean the dirt and the grime off my feet again? And then will you fill me with your spirit so I can live out my commitment to you? Yeah, that's how the relationship with God works. <laughs> Not ignoring that. 
So while we don't need a full bath, we always need the Lord's help to overcome temptation. We always need the Lord's forgiveness when we've blown it, just so the relationship can be in a good place, so that we can receive his help to love those who treat us poorly or to take those steps into the unknown or to overcome sin. If we try to accomplish any of those things in our own strength and just ignore talking to the Lord about them, the result will be you'll be walking around as a a stinky foot foot Christian. You're going to smell really bad as a Christian. And people won't have the scent of Christ, the aroma of Christ when they see you. So it's not about being saved or not being saved. It's about about looking like Jesus. We still need to be washed so that we can do that. Next, we move on to intercession for others. Because here we see, he says, not just forgive me my sins, but forgive us our sins. You see, praying for others, he doesn't specifically mention it here, but the us in verse three implies that I'm not just praying for myself, I'm praying for others' needs too. But to do that, I need to have the right heart toward them, which means I need to have forgiven them. When I come to the Lord asking him to forgive me, it comes in light of the fact that I've forgiven others. See, asking God to forgive us and work in our life can only be done by the person who's offered the same thing to others. Because if you refuse to forgive someone, your prayers will hit a wall. They will hit a wall. Jesus said that in our scripture reading we read in Matthew chapter 6 where he said, if, we, if you don't forgive men their trespasses from heaven, then God won't forgive you. Your prayers are gonna hit a wall. So you need to have forgiveness for others. The Bible says if we don't forgive, God doesn't forgive. Now what does it mean to forgive somebody? It means to leave them unpunished, to send their sin away. And we're not doing that for those who just have lightly hurt us. It says here, as we, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. It means those who have offended us, those who have an unpaid debt to us, those who have sinned against us. Frequently in this moment when someone's got a bitterness or unforgiveness problem, and I'll tell them, I say, you need to forgive them. Right now, we're going to do it right now. And they will start praying, and they will inevitably say this, God, help me to forgive so-and-so. And I stop them right there, and I say, stop. God is never going to help you to choose to forgive somebody, all right? God doesn't help you choose to make the right choice. Prayers like that are unbiblical prayers. Joshua didn't t- tell the people of Israel, and he said, now ask God to help you choose this day whom you'll serve. He said, you choose this day whom you'll serve, whether it be the Lord or idols. You have to make that choice. Remember when they said, oh, we will serve the Lord. He said, you can't serve the Lord. (laughs) He said, you're gonna fail in that. If you come in with that attitude, you're gonna fail. You need to make that choice, but it's God who strengthens you to fulfill the choice. God won't make the choice for you. So praying, God, you know, help me to choose to forgive somebody. That's not a choice to forgive someone. But what you need to do is you choose to release them from what they deserve for how they've treated you. You choose to no longer be angry or bitter at them. You choose to forgive them, to send their sin away. And then you ask God to change your heart towards them. That is a biblical prayer. God, I've made the choice to forgive them. Now I need you to do a work of forgiveness in my heart. And when you do that, God will begin that work of forgiveness. You say, what happens when I do that and I still feel angry? Make the choice to forgive again. And again, and again, and again, until God's work in you is complete. Now, how do you know when God's work of forgiveness is complete in your heart? It's when you spontaneously wish them well when you think of them. When you think of them, and your first thought isn't to be angry or bitter or to remember the evil they did to you, but instead, your thoughts towards them are good. That's how you know that God's work of forgiveness is complete in your heart. And so until you're there, you have to keep making that choice, saying, Lord, I I make the choice to forgive them. I release them from that debt. Now, the last thing here he tells us of the general format of prayer is protection from evil. He says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, 
James chapter 113 tells us very clearly that a God never tempts us to sin. But he does test us, and that's what this word means here. Temptation here means trials or testing periods. James 1.2 also tells us, it says, Brethren, count it all joy when you come into this time of trial, this time where God's testing you. We're to rejoice when God tests us so that we can go through the test successfully. But we're also to pray, God, don't send me through the trial. <laughs> don't send me through the trial. And sometimes I wonder if we end up in trials all the time because we don't ask God to spare us from them. You say, well, why would you ask God to spare you from the trial? Here's the problem. When we don't ask God to spare us from the trial, what we're saying is, I can handle anything that comes my way. Because why does God put us in trials? He doesn't put us in trials so he can learn what we're really made of. He puts us through trials so we can learn what's really going on in our hearts, where we're really at spiritually. And so if we confess before and go, Lord, don't need any trials, I know I'm a failure. <laughs> I, know, I know I blow it. I know I need you. I, I know I need to humble myself. And so here I am humbling myself right now, Lord. Don't need any trials to show me that. While God doesn't tempt us, the enemy does tempt us. So while we also pray, we pray that God doesn't send trials to us, we need to pray that he rescues us from the evil one. That's what deliver means. Lord, rescue us from evil, but literally it means the evil one. Certainly wicked people could be in mind here, but Ephesians 6.12 makes it clear that even when we're wrestling against people, our real fight is against what? It's not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and wicked spirits in high places. John 10.10 tells us that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what Satan wants to do. Our enemy and his forces, they, they want to wipe us out. So this is the spiritual warfare aspect of prayer, where we put our armor on for the coming day, but pray for God to rescue us when we end up in the battle. First lesson, it's general necessity. Our second lesson, it's general format, is that we start with worship, we move to surrender, and then we close with our requests. While that might seem like all we need to learn about prayer, Jesus illustrates two more lessons in these last few verses here, and I am going to move fairly quickly through them. It says, and he said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend, and shall go unto him at midnight, and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine is in his journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not, don't bother me. The door is now shut. I've already locked the door, and oriental doors were not easy to lock. And my children are with me in bed. Uh, You might be thinking, what is that? Why is this guy sleeping with his kids in the same bed? Well, that's just how it was back then. You know, everybody slept in the same room, which is probably what that means, not the same bed back then, because they only had one bedroom. So he says, I've already got the kids in bed with me. I cannot rise and give to you. Jesus says, I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet he will because of his importunity, his lack of sensitivity to what's proper, because he's banging on the door at night, and that's the only way to make him go away. Because of that, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. My boss used to say, poor planning on your part doesn't constitute an emergency for me. That's true. True statement. I've told people that. Poor planning on your part does not constitute an emergency for me. This situation, that's basically what this guy is telling him. He's saying, you know, you didn't plan well. My kid's already in bed. And, and if you have kids, you know there's nothing worse than when they finally calm down to actually rile them back up. Like that sends you into like murder parent mode, right? You know, you know, I mean, you're like, what did you do? You know, but eventually the guy gives in to what this guy asked for, not because they're such good friends, but because he's shamelessly persistent, shamelessly persistent. Hebrew finds more beauty in contrasting ideas than in comparing them. 
Having given us this awful scenario where the friend doesn't want to help his friend, he doesn't want to be bothered, but he does just because his friend's shamelessly persistent. Jesus now contrasts that with our loving Father who's never bothered by any of our requests. He says, and I say unto you, verse 9, ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asks receives, and he that seeks finds, and to him that knocks it shall be opened. All these verbs are in the present tense. Ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. Whether you have a need from the Lord to ask him for, whether you need information about something, you're seeking information, you need wisdom. The Lord James 1.5 says that he gives wisdom liberally to those who ask. He, he lays it out there for us. He doesn't withhold it. Or whether you have a door you need to go through and you need the Lord to open it. You need to be persistent in that. Ask and keep asking. Seek and keep seeking. Knock and keep knocking. You know, the friend in this example hoped his shameless persistence would get his neighbor out of bed. But Jesus tells us the Father is far more disposed to help us in our time of need. So keep being persistent. You say, but couldn't God be really that good? Why would he want to help me so much, especially if I'm in the mess because of my poor planning, my poor decision-making? Because he's not like us. Because he is good. Jesus knows we struggle believing that. And so he gives us this final point in verses 11 through 13. So prayer, it's regular necessity. We saw its general format. Here we saw in lesson number three, it's required persistence. And number four, we need to have a good expectation when we pray. For he says in verse 11, if a son should ask bread of any of you that is a father, would he give him a stone? Hey dad, could I have a sandwich for lunch? (laughs) Sure, buddy, chew on this. Rock, you know. No one would do that. Or if he asked for a fish, dad, could I have some of that salmon? Sure, son. And then you go grab a snake from the yard and go, suck on this. How about you eat this one? Or if he asked him for an egg, will you offer him a scorpion? Of course not. In fact, several untranslatable words here that show Jesus' question is designed to get a response from his listeners of shock. And they go, no, no one would do that. And so in light of that, Jesus drives this point home. If you then being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children. How much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask? If our condition is fallen, if we are fallen, if we are evil by nature, and we understand, we know, if we with all of our selfishness, all of our poor decisions, all of our evil tendencies, fully understand the right way to respond to a child's request for food, Why would we think God would be cold or cruel when we need wisdom, when we need a door opened, or we need him to come through on our behalf when we bring our needs to him? We need to expect God to answer our biblical requests. We need to have great expectation that God is good, that God will give us the wisdom that we need, that he'll open the doors that he's leading us to go through. Not because we deserve it or we've been so good or we've earned the right to pray but simply because he's good. And how do you know that God's really that good? Well, we're gonna celebrate it this morning. God demonstrated his love, his goodness towards us through the cross forever. He proved it there. And so as we celebrate the Lord's Supper this morning, maybe you've doubted God's goodness. Maybe that's affected your prayer life. And as we remember that goodness this morning as the worship team comes on up and we celebrate together, how about maybe recommitting to yourself to understanding and receiving that love and that goodness so that you can have confidence in prayer. Amen? Lord, we do thank you for your word here that you've taught us how to pray. We can leave here today, Lord, 
maybe filled with faith, Lord, more so than we've ever been, that we might have a good expectation when we pray. Lord, that, that we would be persistent, not in needing to be shamelessly persistent, but just persistent because we know you're good. And Lord, following that right format, worshiping you first, then submitting our hearts to you, and then presenting our requests. And Lord, committing to being those who do actually pray and not just say we know prayer is important. Lord, we want to be obedient to this teaching today. Not that I gave, but the one that you gave. So Lord, we pray you fill us with your spirit as we remember you this morning, the great love that you have for us. And in light of that, we'd love you back. In Jesus' name, amen. Prayer is vitally important to the Christian life. If we don't take time to pray to our Heavenly Father, we will miss out on the blessedness of joy and peace that are promised. God desires us to talk to Him like anyone would in any other relationship we have on earth. Prayer brings us into the throne room of God where we can find mercy in time of need. Don't lose sight of the value of prayer. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.